0: Hey there! Welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts Tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I will be your host for the next few minutes to talk about Peanuts, Charles Schultz, and all things Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, and Snoopy, too. So sit back and enjoy! Is the big one. This is the one you've been waiting for. This is the Summer Spectacular, the big extended episode of Blockhead. Uh, It's the equivalent of the great giant sized summer annuals that Marvel used to put out every year. I used to love those comics back in the day. Anyway, here it is uh, a big discussion between myself and Lex Fajardo, senior editor at the Schultz Studio, and cartoonist behind the terrific graphic novel series Kid Beowulf at kidbeowulf.com and available wherever good books are sold. So Lex and I really get into talking about the Schultz studio. what happens at the Schultz Studio what goes on with licensing? Uh, what kinds of projects do they uh, work on that what is Lex working on and uh, it's a it's a in-depth discussion. And it's a big education for me because I I have absolutely no experience with licensing whatsoever. And uh, it was really interesting to talk to Lex about this. And, of course, it leads into a bunch of other issues as well as we are wont to do. We never stick to one path too closely. And so uh, there are a lot of considerations uh, along the way. So it's not just about that, but uh, that's where we start. So... Betsy's here in the studio with me. She's curled up a, a, around my foot, purring quite mellifluously uh, beneath my my chair here. She's waiting for it, too. <laughs> so uh, here we go. Lex Fajardo and myself in discussion. You, you work at the Schultz studio. You're surrounded by Schultz's work all the time. And obviously, mm-hmm. you've you, this has imparted great... Uh, you know, you've given a great deal of thought to the work that Schultz has done over the course of his lifetime, and uh, what what's it like to work there, and how did you start working there?
1: Um, so the the origin story, so to speak. Um, so after you know, living in Binghamton, I uh, I had delusions of grandeur. It was post college that I would become a you know, syndicated cartoonists. This is, of course, while newspapers are drying up and, and dying uh, and uh, not getting a lot of traction with my with my comic strip. But um, I had a buddy, he was out in San Francisco and he invited me to, his roommate was leaving. So I just sort of picked up and went, uh, went west, young man, um, and uh, did all manner of job f- for a couple of years in San Francisco, just trying to pay the rent and continue to cartoon and and making connections you know going to to comic conventions and and self-publishing my work at that point I had just sort of started to to transition from my comic strip to to Kid Beowulf and figuring out the landscape for the graphic novels and 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 whatnot and it was during the it was really just going to comic shows where I met other cartoonists in particular um uh Paige Braddock, who is who is the creative director at the at the Schultz studio. And um, uh, we just struck up a friendship and and uh, and then I would so I always sort of see her at these shows. You sort of check in. and I didn't actually really know that she was also connected to the Schultz Museum, because at one point I was I was looking for for work and I saw this ad on Craigslist of all places to um, uh, to work in comic strip licensing up in Santa Rosa. I didn't really register that santa rosa and schultz were connected until i actually learned more about it and and um and was invited up for an interview and so i I go up for this this interview and lo and behold oh there's Paige, and (laughs) and she's in charge of this place and and it it was just some sort of fever dream of like this is the space that schultz um uh worked in for his his whole life and so sort of just to, to be uh there at that time was, was, was amazing. Um, and then even, I actually didn't get the job that first time around. They gave it to somebody with, with, with more licensing experience and I just kind of went back and did my cartooning, but sort of still made those connections. Um, and a year and a half later when another opening came up, Paige invited me and, and, um, and I sort of snatched it, um, and moved up to Santa Rosa where I've been for the last 12 years or so. So I started there in 2007 and, um, And at that point, the museum was was there because they had they had I think they built that in 2003 or around there. Um, But it's, you know, where we work, we like to call it sort of Snoopy Central because there's the the Charles M. Schultz Museum. And then across from the museum is the warm puppy cafe and the ice arena that's built around it that Schultz created with his first wife. Um, And then there's a great big ball field that that. schultz had uh created for neighborhood kids and then sort of tucked behind that is his very unassuming studio which yeah. i liken to a you know a dentist office you wouldn't really know that the world's most famous cartoonist lived and, and worked there for so for so long so that's where our offices are and we're a studio comprised of right now we have about 20 and um we're cartoonists we're writers we're sculptors we're accountants we, we you know we are basically the um, the the arm uh, the creative arm of the licensing empire that is Peanuts Worldwide. And the business component, they're based in New York. They kind of took over um, for um, what what United Futures Syndicate and United Media used to be. Um, oh. So they're they're kind of out there pounding the pavement, uh, making all the deals, uh, and then we um, closed the the loop in terms of the approvals process and and uh, making sure that. Whatever is created with with Snoopy and Charlie Brown is done um, the way Sparky would have wanted to, um, and the Schultz family is very much involved. Jeanie Schultz is is we see her on a daily basis. She's terrific and and very much uh, the spearhead of the of the museum, and um, and so it's 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 definitely rarefied air to sort of be to have that as my as my day job and then um, have that sort of inspiration to to take to my to my own um, creations at night, um, so I've been very fortunate and very lucky, and, and and I sort of found my way because I've always loved books and and um, and sort of the scholarship I think of if you can't tell <laughs> from just sort of thinking and reading about Schultz and cartooning and whatnot. I've sort of just found my way into 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 the book part of of uh, of job of the job and uh-huh. working with really talented publishers and and to create great books that we can we can read about his work and and um and so that's been a real fun fun uh job really um and actually the book that you cited earlier celebrating peanuts that was the first one that sort of landed in my lap um because you know the story there is that you know shortly before that book came out the michaelis biography had had come out
0: okay yeah and i don't know
1: if you've read that or not i have it's uh beautifully written i really enjoy the uh, what he wrote. I mean, only my only criticism of that book is I think sometimes he he wanted to psychoanalyze Schultz through the strips, which I don't know if it's, it's not it's never a one for one in that yeah. regard, you know. Um, but uh, but it was, it's it's uh, a um, but for whatever reason, you know, when that book came out, there were some who who a lot it and others who, who, who didn't. And, and, um, so we were very sensitive at the, at the studio to like, okay, well, whatever next book comes out, we kind of have to make sure that, you know, the, the voice on the page is Schultz all the way through. And so this, this project came out for celebrating peanuts. And, um, that was sort of the, our Paige and I we sort of thought about it in the terms of like, well, let's try and do another style of, of biography, so to speak, not like, um, the Michaelis but just do it through the strips and we'll and we'll go through and and find all these different quotes um and kind of the way I tried to construct it was was um if you read that from the beginning to the end uh you would sort of get the span of of Schultz's life and what he thought of cartooning as a young man and and then watch his artwork uh evolve through those through mm-hmm. those 50 years and just pepper it with with quotes and and I hope we pulled it off i'd like to think we did um uh so i'm very still very proud of that book um and i think it's uh it was a a really fun one to put together um and then that was sort of the capstone to that was 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 the the book that we did last year which was celebrating snoopy so it was sort of a nice bookend um sort Mm -hmm. of similar conceit um
0: and celebrating celebrating snoopy won the eisner award
1: yeah yeah so that's the one that um we won the best uh archival Mm -hmm reprint book which was which was really um still sort of uh dazed by that when yeah. and it's a, it's just a great acknowledgement um of the work that we all put into trying just to preserve the legacy of of Schultz
0: um well you've done a wonderful job i, I have to say i haven't gotten celebrating snoopy yet but i will pick that up but i'm i'm thrilled with celebrating peanuts as uh, uh, i you know it's obvious cuz i've quoted from it and and uh, I've really enjoyed the way you, you set it up and you do really get a sense of the difference in his thoughts as a young cartoonist versus as uh, an elder statesman of cartooning later on. It's, it's really interesting to see the evolution of his thinking. A lot of his thinking is, you know, remains the same, but then there are some things that, that clearly change, you know, mm-hmm. as to- on um and you get to look at w- w- in a way that's different from the fanagraphics collection you can immediately compare distinctions between the work in the 90s and work in the 80s and the work in the 50s and the 60s you can go back and forth and make comparisons like for example one of the things that you know you might not notice uh if you're reading the fanographics collections is that you know the format the size of the strips actually changes as time goes on. I mean, and it, it, you know, as his panel sizes change, right, right. he works with a rectangular format right up until about the mid '70s, and then that format becomes more, you know, those panel boxes become square or almost square, and uh, you know, a little more height than they had width, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, it's three panels as opposed to four panels, and um. And when it is four panels, they're kind of, you know, tiny compared right, to what it used right. to. Be. I mean, there are all these little changes that you're able to see in this one big collection that you, you can't really connect to any other way, which I really appreciate as somebody who's, you know, trying to understand the evolution of the strip and uh, how it develops. Um, What's plus, always
1: impressive to me when I look at those, the, 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 those strips where he sort of even in the daily I mean, he does a lot of course in the in the in the sunday where he's playing with the panel form but uh, when he makes that shift i think it's maybe late 80s um, that uh, and into the 90s where he's 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 playing with like there'll be a lot, going back to the strip spikes there'll be a lot of just single panel frames of spike in the desert as a daily or there yeah, yeah. or he'll cut it up and there'll be like six frame six panels for a for a daily mm-hmm. um but whatever, whatever, however many panels he needs, he makes it work. With, and and there, it's just interesting. It just never, I never get the sense that he's ever struggling to um, to to come up with a comic strip. Whereas, I, where I, I don't know about for you, but for me, it was it was comic strips are tough. It's like a really, it's a it's a hard thing to master. And so, the ease with which he could just um, you know do these I've, I've always impressed by it but him and then those other great cartoonists who, who make it look so easy
0: well you know and it, i mean there are two ways to go right you you have the mort walker johnny hart school of writing a gag a day and then you have this the the personality driven work of somebody like schultz if you know your characters right right and he says this over and over again uh that if you know you have characters um, they, they bounce off each other, you know, how they're going to respond to a certain situation. Um, you know, the humor comes right out of them and their behavior, uh, which is really interesting, but you know, how rare is it that, you know, uh, you can, that one can create characters that are so rich and, and so well-developed that you can sustain 50 years of writing. It's, it's just mind boggling and. And that is one of the things that you, you're right. You never get a sense that he's struggling. Although it was interesting for me to read that he enjoyed the opportunity to play around with the number of panels and the format of of the strips uh, as as it developed. I wondered about that because when he moved from, you know, those of us who grew up with peanuts, I think the four panel strip became such, you know, it it's formulaic. But it also served, I mean, Schultz's language mm-hmm. and use of language really, and the way he developed jokes and timed jokes really worked perfectly with four panels for so many years that, you know, as he transitioned into one, two panel or three panel strips, uh, you know, I wondered whether he found it problematic or not. It certainly doesn't read problematic, but, I wondered if that was a challenge to him, and it was interesting to read. You know, I think somewhere in the book that you note, um, or he noted, or maybe Jeannie Schultz noted, that he actually enjoyed playing around with, uh, you know, the new formats, and uh, maybe it revitalized him in a way. Uh, could be, but yeah, there, no, I wonder about that
1: too because, uh, and I and I don't know if this is apocryphal or or what spurred him to do that, but I had heard that you know he was. Again, looking at the comic strips in the paper, mm-hmm. seeing the you know his colleagues and other cartoonists, and I think it was maybe him because because Watterson played around with the form all the time, yeah. and I think maybe he sort of saw that and was like, well, you know, why can't I do that? And maybe mm-hmm. decided to to take a leap in that direction.
0: You think he was? It's interesting. You think he was competitive with Watterson?
1: Uh, I, th- I, th- yeah, my my gut says. Probably, although he probably would never maybe admit, ad, admit that, but um, I think there might have been a little. Uh, well, as he, you know, he's competitive um, regardless, because I think you know that's that's the the sportsman in him, and and uh, and wants to win on the page, because I think he's even said that before. Um, but I think the accolades that Watterson got, maybe, um, and again, I could, I this is just. Uh, speculation. Maybe that sort of rubbed him the wrong way because, you know, I think when when we see Calvin and Hobbes and it's heyday, a lot of those Spaceman Spiff is the flying ace, you know? Oh uh, yeah. absolutely. Cal, Calvin and the Snowman was Linus and the Snowman. I mean yeah. it's
0: yeah.
1: and uh and that's not to 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 you know take any thing away from what Watterson was doing. It's just sort of like but a lot of the things, a lot of the, the great moments uh, of Calvin and Hobbes, the, the philosophy of it was that's what Schultz brought to the comics page.
0: Um, you know, it's really interesting. I never really thought about it in in those terms. I don't know why I never thought about it in those terms. But you're absolutely right, you know. You think about, um, you know, Calvin and Hobbes, just the relationship there. The, the fantasy world of Calvin, which is the fantasy world of Snoopy, right, um, turned around. And it's like the relationship of Charlie Brown and Snoopy, which is one kind of relationship, but you have... A boy and his crazy dog. And here in Calvin Hobbes, you have a crazy boy and his plush toy. And, right. and you know, that kind of idea, uh, you know, what Watterson does is he just simplifies it and focuses on that relationship. And he also focuses in on the Snoopy kind of character, the character that is fantasy driven and lives. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, Calvin's a very different kind of character, but he's almost like Snoopy to the max, you know. Um, the kind of selfishness uh, or, you know, self centeredness, I think, that exists in Snoopy. Um, you know, to a certain extent, until Woodstock comes along, anyway. Right. Uh, that that quality is very much, you know, magnified in Calvin, and uh, and then, of course, all of that other stuff, uh, you know, relates to. I didn't really connect the Snowmen to to Linus, but you're absolutely right. That all that was all in Schultz. It was all in Peanuts to begin yeah. with. I really,
1: and it, again, I think Waterson would be the first to to admit that. Um, well, he's it's always it's, talking about the, the influence of schultz
0: yeah and he he's taken it it's not he's, he's and then he's taken these kernel of ideas and he's built upon them and right. expanded upon them because you know here's an opportunity schultz has laid out the table and he said you know here's some possibilities take and any artist you know take them and run and right. and watterson does that and made it his own yeah and then
1: you know conversely you know there's so there's the the them as artists, but then you have them as businessmen. And, and, you know, during that time there was, there was a very vocal battle between Watterson and the syndicate because he didn't want to, to go down the path that again, uh, Schultz had sort of pioneered in that, you know, you have a, a commodity that's, that's popular. Um, you sort of, for lack of a better word, you exploit it. Um, and, and so that, and, and for, you know, Watterson just had a different um, point of view about that. Um, yeah,
0: it's, it's interesting. I, I, I think about that, and I think, well, a, a lot of things come into play. I mean, if you've got a family to raise, and I don't know what Waterson's circumstance is, but one of the things that you're thinking about, uh, you know, if you're Charles Schultz, is you've got to cement. You, n- you never know when this is going to end. Right. right. You know, you never know when you're going to be out of work. And, and even as you're moving into the sixties, I'm sure that insecurity, it's got to be there someplace, but you've got a family to raise and you've got to do what you can for that family and, and to take care of them and ensure that the kids have a college education and all, all the stuff that goes on with that. Right. So, right. I, you know, I, I think you've got to maximize your opportunities while they're there. I don't see any dishonor in that. And at the same time, no, not at all. I, yeah. I greatly respect Watterson's point of view, which is this, you know, this undercuts the meaning of the strip and the meaning of the work is a work of art and people right. respect him for it. I certainly do, but I don't know that I, myself. Having, if I had the opportunity, (laughs) um, would be able to do that because you know I have to think about retirement and I have to think about you know my wife and and you know uh, family and what I leave her with and all that kind of stuff. I mean, those all those issues all come into play. And the Uh, other
1: thing that's that's I think a lot of people forget, uh, at least in Schultz's case, is that it was again it was sort of like just the way he slowly built the strip and it became a success artistically they slowly yeah. built the licensing it was just sort of drips yeah. and drabs like yeah and i and i know that when you're a young cartoonist and somebody wants to to use your characters it's at some points flattering and and then and then you want to seize that opportunity because of course yeah. you want to see what your character looks like in three dimensions of course you'd be really interested yeah. in, to have them on a on a shirt those are exciting opportunities and then yeah, absolutely and then it just sort of became this (laughs) this behemoth that he had to kind of wrangle and control and and um and then i think probably he maybe saw that that um you know what what you know he sort of set up these systems so he could retreat to the drawing board and just do the thing he really wanted to do so he didn't have to make those other decisions
0: and that's something that you know uh, there are two things that are popping in my head at the same time but in relation to what you're saying so you know, in order to enable himself to put all this stuff aside, because I can see how it could be overwhelming. I mean, Mm -hmm. the, the, the magnitude of, of peanuts memorabilia and and merchandising, it's, it's the enormity of it is unlike really anything else, you know, that's out there. I mean, I can't, what compares with it? I don't know. Uh, so, you know, the size of and scope of that business, well, you become CEO of the business. And being a CEO every day, what do you have to deal with? You have to deal with all of the business matters, right? Well, he's a cartoonist. And a cartoonist has to really... If you're going to function as a cartoonist, and, you know, my wife and I talk about this all the time there, if you're doing a daily comic strip, you really have to be focused on that constantly, you know? And so that means you're living in that world. And even when you're like sitting on a chair with your dog on your lap as, as right. during the day, as, as Schultz would do, you know, uh, you're going to be thinking about the strip and what happens tomorrow and what happens the next day and whatever kernel of idea you're working on. Right. It's, it's it's all involving in that sense. And so, you know, you have to find a way to divide the business from the art. And, and I would imagine that he had a very fun, a very, you know, a line in the sand, as it were, between right. studio, what happened in the studio and what happens with the business. I mean, I can't imagine how you could function any other way. Uh, and, you know,
1: and the only other thing I would, I would add was in terms of the, the connection to Watterson is that, um, you know, so so Sparky put in place this this studio, Creative Associates, to do just that, to to yeah. safeguard, you know, the the IP in whatever iteration it takes, and then and so and then you know continue licensing, um, 20 years after his death, and then you have somebody like Watterson who who fought tooth and nail, to to not have any kind of merchandising, and the strip is still revered and remembered, um, uh, but at the same time, we get those awful decals of like something that kind of looks at one point may have been Calvin peeing on a Ford thing. And it's like, you know, those things get pirated because people will want these things regardless. So, and they will, they will find ways to, to, you know, get those characters they love. And, and uh, I'm not faulting Watterson for the choices he made, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, there's that you can sort of protect that IP by, by having some of those, safeguards in in place or or you know i'm not saying licensing is the answer but it's it's just very curious to see like how how you know how calvin is still out there but not it's not calvin <laughs> it's 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 really disconcerting
0: well you know um I, I i one of the things i wanted to note about all of this and i, I think your analysis is is very interesting and and um i think that that watterson could only have taken that position Post Schultz, mm-hmm. uh, as as opposed to you know pre peanuts and the merchandising of peanuts. I mean, the, in, inherent in what Watterson was doing was a criticism of Charles Schultz, and a, and a criticism of the merchandising of peanuts. Because and maybe Garfield too, right? But mostly Schultz.
1: Well, and maybe Farside, maybe the whole thing. Because I don't know if I remember the eighties being a bonanza of like yeah. Bloom County, Farside, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, Garfield, like. You know, Andrews McMeel published <laughs> because I remember. I remember them because I remember that stamp on the back of all the books I had. Uh, they marketed the the crap out of all that stuff, and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think you're right. He was pushing back against that.
0: Yeah, he was. He, you know, it had to be um, you know, that which went before was, was giving him, you know, pause and gave him also the the opportunity to say, Hey, wait a minute, comic strips exist in another way. And I think what his voice is an important one in that regard. It's, it's stop, you know, let's remember what this is all about to begin with. There's an honor to this profession, which I think, you know, all of the cartoonists who were speaking about, um, were both upholders of and believers in, you know, that there's an honor to it. But at the same time, it is a commercial enterprise, and uh, you know, as uh, what was it, Art Spiegelman says that comics are the bastard child of commerce and art, and um, <laughs> you know, in some sense, they are, and uh, and there is a, a, a place for it. But I think, you know, what Waterson, the territory that he staked out for himself on the issue, was really only possible because you know he had seen what had gone before and he okay he realized there was an excess and maybe we need to put the brakes on this and think about what comics really are the right. really time being uh you and know, like
1: schultz he was a fanatic you know he was a fanatic yeah that art and, form and, and yep. he's gonna preserve it the best way he knows how
0: and i think one of the the reasons that his strip is revered to this day, not only by cartoonists, but by, you know, kids of the nineties who've grown up and and pointed that as their favorite, fa- favorite comic strip more often than not, mm-hmm. uh, is this idea that he stopped after 10 years, right. You know, that, that stopping at that point before you start to repeat yourself, you know, et cetera. And this, again, this is, brings up a whole host of other thoughts too. You know, it, it points to this idea that, um, Well, you know, yes, that the comic strip by the 1990s, in a lot of ways, it had to be all in place right from the beginning. You know, Calvin had to be fully developed and fully formed and go through, you know, that whole process uh, of development before it appeared before the public fully formed. And then it goes through and it doesn't change over time. And that's not true for every strip, but pretty much, you know, Garfield was Garfield and, and whatnot. Although, you know, Bloom County did change a lot. But, um... But having said that, uh, you know, when I think about the comparison between Watterson and Schultz, I'm thinking, wow, you know, Charles Schultz, it, it was 15 years before Snoopy was up on the doghouse. I know. know uh, we would,
1: if he stopped at 10 years, we would never have the flying ace. We would, we never, would never, you know?
0: Yeah. He, ju- he was just beginning. Right. You know, it took him five years. Really, you know, when I, and one of the things I, I get from your book is really by 1956. I used to think it was 57, but it seems like 56 is really the crucial year. Everything clicks. Snoopy's not walking all the time yet, but most of the stuff is in place. Linus mm-hmm. is, Linus, really. you know, we know who the characters are by then. It, but Snoopy still, has
1: that sort of elongated nose. He's sort yeah. of like he's he's between walking on, you know, all fours and and he's imitating all the animals.
0: And, yeah, which yeah. I
1: always feel like, you know, Schultz right there is is like you know, he's getting a handle on the kid characters now he's focusing on snoopy and he goes through all these physical physical permutations that yeah. you know lead to these psychological ones where he can and become things like the flying ace
0: yeah and and it really is that that's a fascinating development that is, i mean and this is why I'm, i actually i'm looking forward to picking up celebrating snoopy at some point because um the development of snoopy is a really crucial one it, it points to you know all the broader developments in the comic strip, they're all sort of centraled on the development of Snoopy in a way. Snoopy is really the barometer, you know, yeah. for how the strip changes and the most dramatic example of that. And, uh, I, you know, I keep going back to, you know, the Snoopy I, I love the most though, is that late fifties, early sixties Snoopy for me. I love the idea that he goes back and forth between walking and walking on all fours, you know, walking, mm-hmm. to place and walking on all fours. Right. I love the idea that he's still partly a dog in the dog sense of the world, and there are still jokes to be made about that. I also, you know, Schultz, uh, in many interviews railed against, you know, the elongated nose and, and figure of Snoopy in those years. Uh, but for me, the later Snoopy is just a little too cuddly and mm-hmm. a little too bulbous as Terry Levinson said, right. Uh, that, that sense that, you know, he does become so soft and you can't imagine that, that dog, except when he's, I do notice this, he does run on all fours when he's stealing Linus's blanket, which is one of my favorite gags through the whole many years of the strip. I just love those, you know, fun cartoons, you know, Snoopy, you know, uh, looking around a corner, sees Linus, sees his target, you know, his quarry is, is there and he, boom, he goes after that that uh, blanket and steals it and then they you know you you know you sense schultz's delight in drawing all of that and
1: well uh, and, that's, and that's that's one of the other things that's really interesting about you know again looking at the beginnings in 1950 and the ends in 2000s like and if you look at snoopy you know he's very much a puppy in those and and the neighborhood dog and prancing around with charlie brown and shirmy and the gang and and then towards the end of the strip those last few years he's walking on all fours again and he's a little puppy again and hanging out with charlie brown under the tree and just cuddling and it's sort of like i don't know if schultz is doing that intentionally but it's a very interesting bookend um that it is that he sort of comes full circle
0: well he also developed a relationship uh, I, I suppose that charles schultz and his family had many dogs but i i know that he developed a strong bond with his last dog did he? know oh, andy yeah mm-hmm. yeah and, and, uh, so and he, he made it into
1: the strip too. He's he <laughs> one of Snoopy siblings.
0: Oh, he was one of st- Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. He's
1: the fuzzy one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He, he, he adored Andy. Um, and, uh, so, uh, yeah. And so much so that he became one of the characters.
0: That's really, that's, that's amazing. Uh, you know, because, you know, I think there is something of that relationship that comes back into the strip and, and the idea, and also, you know, I mean, of course, you know, you reach that point, your kids are grown and they're gone. Uh, and the house is quieter. Maybe, I don't Mm -hmm. know what Schultz's house was like, but you know, when the kids are grown up and gone, uh, there is that kind of quietude, you know, that, that, um, uh empty house syndrome but also you know because it's so crazy all the years the kids are growing up and then when they're gone it must seem really vacant and then you know you have your spouse and and you have your dog you know right and, <laughs> and uh, those moments with the dog can be very very important and i suppose maybe that's that might have been fueling some of that i don't know i'm speculating too but yeah uh, you know i can i can kind of see that as a way of fueling the relationship of charlie brown you know charlie brown sitting on the on the chair with snoopy in his lap and uh, which is what schultz did at the end
1: of yeah. the day yeah and there are all those strips where charlie brown is at school and he's just he's trying to he's pleading with the teacher he's like i just want to go home and hang out with
0: my dog and yeah yeah <laughs> it's just like, right which is well you know here's the thing right i mean i think there's a you know i i know we were talking about michaelis and you were saying how michaelis wanted to psychoanalyze the strips but there is a a temptation and maybe it's wrong and maybe it's right but you know you see the artist in the work of art and you see bi- biography oh, sure. yes. you know in the work of art and so i'm thinking exactly that you know uh that that you know that the relationship between Schultz and Andy is reflected in, in Schultz and in, in Charlie Brown and Snoopy and, yes, and later yeah. strips. And you know, I see that, that there are a lot of things that Charles Schultz's kids as toddlers must have done that fueled a lot of jokes in the nineteen fifties. Right. You know, because there's a lot of as, as strip develops, it leaves behind those childhood things. And that happens when the kids grow up, you know? So there's there's gotta be a connection there. You go back Oh yeah,
1: to, yeah. And I, and you know, just to clarify my my point about the the Michaelis thing I think you know Sparky even said if you read me if you read my strip you would know me because yes, he everything did. he is he puts into the strip so so you know we're right to 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 look at the strip and and try and dissect it I think in and the way that you know you just mentioned but um I guess my only thing about you know uh Michaelis's thing there were just a couple of moments where I felt like well it's like i said before it's never a one for one it's just sort of their 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 shadows and permutations of his life that he's that he's filtered into the strip and recontextualized and and so it, that's i guess how i would clarify that but you're but it, yeah his life is on the page to a certain yeah. degree
0: yeah his, his and where you know we don't have that opportunity in any other cartoonist that i know of uh, where you can actually trace, you know, and and if you really want to, but you can trace the development of a psyche across 50 years, uh, in in every day, you know, uh, that evolution across that, that many years, there's, there's an essential self of Schultz that is there throughout. There's a core of Charles Schultz that's always there. And then, uh, and, and then there are these other the details of, a life, of his life change his perceptions or change his, his attitudes or reveal themselves in what he wants to express uh, every day. And, and so you can get that. You can see that circumstances of his life have changed uh, right. through reading the strip. And, you know, whether that's, you know, first marriage, second marriage, you know, children in the household, children being gone, all of that kind of it, it, it reveals itself one way or another. In In the best
1: possible way through through the art, which I think is why it's not I'm not the first person to say this, but a lot of folks sort of equate the strip to like it's it's a body of literature, you know, Um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's amazing to 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 view it from that lens. and, And then also at the same time, that's that it's just funny, too. And he oh, well, always made, he always worked to make it funny. Oh
0: man, it's, that's the thing, you know, and I, I don't think, I, and I, I don't know about you, but growing up as a, a kid, you know, f- enthralled to comics and comic strips in particular, I would read, and this is unlike any other comic strip that I know of, I've, I have read these strips and I've read many of the strips in Celebrating Peanuts, I don't know, what, a thousand times? I don't mm-hmm. know. I have no idea, but I can, I can recall sitting on this sofa or that sofa as a kid growing up as, as a, uh, you know, a, a eight, nine year old, or as a 13 or 14 year old, I can see myself sitting there with the book. I can see, you know, I, all the way through my life, these strips never stop. They are never less than funny, you yeah. know? And which and, is really
1: hard to do when you, when I, when I open up my my Fantagraphics collection of Walt Kelly's Pogo, as beautiful as it is, it's uh-huh. not easy reading. <laughs> so.
0: It's not easy reading. No, I agree with you, particularly because it's mired in a lot of politics and stuff. But at the same time, it, it's it's not. And the humor of it is, okay, it's kind of got that kind of um, subtle humor, but it's not laugh-out-loud funny. And right. uh, I mean, laugh-out-loud funny, I've read some of these strips... Uh, you know, many, many times they're still laugh out loud funny. I don't know how you write a comic strip that, yeah. that you know, remains that funny after that many readings. It, you know, I know what the punchline is going to be. And yet here I am laughing my ass off again. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, it's really in terms of comedic writing, of course, there's a, you know, it's the characters, it's the context, it's the pacing, all of it contributes to it. But you know, I have a hard time going back to reading Doonesbury uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and, whatnot. and, and, you know, getting into it again, uh, because the context is so much of, it's like trying to read political cartooning, you know, outside of the box. You look at those Windsor right. McKay cartoons, you know, Bloom the County 20s.
1: suffers from that too. A little I mean,
0: yeah, I, I yeah. know. I think he's still, you know, it's funny looking at Bloom County now. I think he's, and, and I, I really enjoyed Bloom County, but and I still enjoy it, but I think he's still kind of struggling to find his way, uh, with the new stuff and, um, you know, find his way back to right. relevancy or what, find that niche that he was in, in the eighties that made it so much a strip of the eighties. And so, you know, poignant. but I think Schultz knew that. I think Schultz was aware that, you know, getting too intimately involved with the details of the day, the specifics, uh, of your, your era, limit you in terms of the reach of your your humor uh both across you know cultural barriers but also across you know time
1: yeah yeah Mm i know um whether whether he yeah consciously made that like even even the even the strips that are in the you know 68 69 with i remember i'm just thinking back to those there's a whole sequence of uh snoopy and the birds and the birds uh are carrying around these placards and they all have like asterisks and exclamation points and question marks and it's and it's a political cartoon of the day but it yeah. still works today you know
0: sure sure because he's he's dealing with the you know the essential elements not dealing with specifics of protest but the idea of protest right and uh so you know that makes it still read you know th- i mean there are periodically, you know, there are references obviously that, you know, cue you into the time. And, and I think probably for somebody who wasn't raised in the 20th century, maybe, you know, there are elements, you know, uh, details that lock it into place as being an artifact of, of the 20th century, you know, the use of the television set or something like that. Right. Uh, for a kid today who's, you know, grown up in the 21st century, that's, that's not a, that's a relic, you know, of the past, uh, whereas it's still something that seems real, you know, to somebody like yourself or me. Um,
1: well, and so, his, his whole, uh, you know, upbringing as a Midwesterner, even though he lived in California for, you know, the lat, last half of his life, um, those – the Midwestern qualities of, of just sort of keeping to yourself when it comes to, you know, your political points of view or, mm-hmm, or, yeah. you know, getting never getting on a soapbox. Like, he, he – put those in in the strip it was never he never felt i think the need to to um if he was you know frustrated with politics he never crowed about him in the strip the way that that breathed in dunesbury i mean that was that was their outlet
0: and that's yeah that was that was their sensibility and their their voice he never proselytized and uh nor about his religion unlike you know say johnny hart when johnny hart was, was reborn uh which i think you know, again, allows for the strip to be read, you know, across religious barriers as well. You know, he might be talking about theology uh, as an idea, as a concept or, or spirituality, but he doesn't really get into, you know, I mean, except for say the Christmas special or something, but I don't think he ever really, you know, um, creates the kind of distinctions, uh, that, or, or barriers that, uh, say Johnny Hart created when he was, you know, exploring religious themes.
1: Right. Uh, yeah. His, the, the Sparky's thoughts on religion were, were the great pumpkin,
0: which, which yeah, is yeah. hilarious. Yeah, it is. And, and it, I mean, you know, for somebody who is, uh, of say a Christian faith, but you know, like all artists, I mean, there, there's a certain, there's certain, um, eccentricities in in thought, uh that in when given to considering you know theology and and the great pumpkin was about it i mean really what a fantastic way of dealing with the questions of faith and you know yeah. that really crosses boundaries you know the idea great pumpkin nobody's believing in the great pumpkin except for linus so you don't have to worry about you know offending somebody and you can still speak to these issues in a very effective way which were obviously crucial issues to him mhm you know? Uh, the idea of faith and, and, uh, I mean, Charlie Brown's very, you know, life experiences is, is, and characters built around the idea of faith, you know, the yeah, idea, that's true. you know, uh, of having faith that's one day you will overcome one day you will get there, you know, uh, you will fly the kite and, and you will kick the football one day. Right. Uh, but,
1: well, my, I have, I have a, a working theory about Charlie Brown and that, um, uh, in all the strips where he leaves his neighborhood, he's quite successful. So I don't know if it's necessarily
0: <laughs> his problems or the people he's surrounding himself with. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, right? Who are very critical of him. I mean, disparage, yeah. <laughs> Lucy is really disparaging of him. You know, as much as Linus tends to be a good friend, he's also he also tends to see Charlie Brown's foibles. and And everybody in the neighborhood, right from strip number one, you know, good old Charlie Brown, God, how I hate him, you right. know. I mean, uh, that seems to be the attitude of the neighborhood, but yeah, he goes to camp and he's Mr. Sack and he's elected camp president, you know, and he's wow, you know, but also has something to do with Charlie Brown's own image of himself. He takes his sack off and reveals his face and to himself as well to everybody else. And immediately, you know, he fails again. Uh, So there's something about Charlie Brown's self image, uh, at work there too. But I think you got a really good point. That's hilarious. Uh, You know, so, you know, one of the things that, as we're talking about some of the cartoonists of the eighties and the the seventies and eighties, there's a really a new generation of cartoonists that are happening in the eighties, you know, Berkeley Brethed and, uh, Lynn Johnston and Mm -hmm. and Gary Trudeau really was of the seventies, but, uh, Kathy Geiswhite, right. Um, that whole, so, you know, and, and really in some sense, they were a new generation, you know, previous to that Schultz was in the newspaper with, his peers, people of his generation, World War II vets like Mort Walker and and uh, Walt Kelly and you know uh Johnny Hart and all of these people who who came of age at the same time with the same influence as he did. So all of a sudden the, you know, in the seventies and eighties you got people who were influenced by, you know, not only the Charles Schultz himself, and they don't have those touchstones of the classic comic strips, mm-hmm. but they do have what was going on in the sixties. You know, they have Robert Crumb and underground cartooning and Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and, and, you know, other things that other cartoonists they're thinking of, certainly Gary Trudeau is coming out of the tradition of underground comics, right. From the right. late sixties. I mean, so did show Schultz... a lot of
1: Pfeiffer in his work too?
0: Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Particularly the early stuff, you know, it's yeah. drawn, it's right out of Pfeiffer. Right. Um, I mean, did Schultz, I mean, okay. At this point, Schultz is cast as an elder statesman, you know, sure. in relationship to those people. So do you have any sense of how he perceived them or how he, you know, looked at them and maybe did he see his ref- own reflection back from them? Um, yeah, you know that's a great question.
1: i I don't know, and I can't recall coming across anything that would enlighten that. i I, th- I was just thinking as you were describing all that, how interesting is it that all of those cartoonists were looking at the field and saying, I want to be like Charles Schultz, whether 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 it was like, whether it was emulating his strip or just the level of success that he, he attained. Like, I think we all as cartoonists, he's one of those folks we look to and like, well, that's what I want to kind of emulate. Oh, he was able to do his work and be successful at it and make a living. And, and it was it. And he had all kinds of success. I mean, Jim Davis, literally that was the path when he created Garfield. He looked at Snoopy and kind of, yeah. And I think he, he, he's even sort of admitted that. Um, yeah. So it's it's very strange to sort of I would I would just sort of trying to step in Schultz's shoes and think about like wow they're all trying to be me. Whereas when he was coming up what he wanted to be, like Milton Kniff and, and uh Harriman, he he couldn't because of the the limitations that they imposed on him. So yeah. I, I don't know, it's just interesting to think. Um uh and you're right, he he did become the elder statesman and and People would would make pilgrimages to Snoop, one Snoopy place and and you know uh, sit at his knee at his knees so to speak and and try and get kernels of, of wisdom. Um,
0: yeah, or his benediction. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That was also something I think a lot of people strived for. Um, and and I don't know if he uh, always gave it and maybe that's sort of just the (laughs) always the competitive streak in him you know i mean he certainly had close relationships with lynn johnston and kathy Guise white and and um uh i don't know if he was particularly close with gary trudeau um but there are a couple what's what's great at the studios there are there is a hallway that um is just populated with strips that have been gifted to him from other cartoonists so there's a, a beautiful Full page: Hal Foster, Prince Valiant, and there's <gasps> Crazy Cat, and there's oh, a, yeah. a, a big Sunday, oh, my and gosh. there's a there's a strip from Walt Kelly when I think on the boat it says like the CMS Schultz, oh. um, and little missives here and there where you know from those cartoonists sort of gifting them to, to Sparky because mm-hmm. you know that's the other great tradition in cartooning is cartoonists would trade trade, trade originals and mm-hmm. so there are a couple uh, there's one from from Trudeau there it's it's a BD I think shooting at the at the Viet Cong, and um so i you know i i i always love you know looking at those those originals um but i don't know if what his personal relationships were with them um outside of what i've read in, in interviews yeah. and such but it's just yeah, yeah it's fascinating like here's a whole new generation who wants to be just like you
0: yeah and and we're competing to do that and uh um and they weren't you know, as much as, say, Trudeau is looking to Pfeiffer and underground cartoonists and uh, Berkeley Brethren and and all of those folks, but none of them would have been possible without the example of Charles Schultz and right. the, the territory. Because when you look at those strips, uh, you know, maybe the most emotionally and psychologically complex is Lynn Johnston's work. I'm not, I mean, I'm talking solely about syndicated comic strips here because obviously right. You know, there's a whole world of stuff in underground comics and alternative comics that's mined that territory also. And some of it very successfully, And you know, crumbs work is, you know, just rife with psychological import. And so there's lots to get there, but okay. In the syndicated world, I mean, I'm trying to think of somebody who's really dealing with something of the depth that, that recalls or. Calls to mind the depth of personality of the characters that Charles Schultz is working with. And, and I suppose, you know, Johnston is, is the one out of that group that stands out to me. Um, but it, it's, it's really interesting. Still, none of them would have been able to develop the characters or been allowed to develop characters or even would have ever imagined it without, you know, peanuts coming first. Because, you know, without those interactions, those personal interactions based on character that come out of, you know, uh, the Peanuts neighborhood, uh, you don't have uh, Walden Pond and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Doonesbury. You, you, you know, it's it's hard to conceive of that kind of set of personal interactions where in personal foibles as as well as politics but personal foibles become a really big part of of the comic yeah definitely yeah Um, i still have so many more questions and we're already at two what is it you know almost two two hours because i'm really enjoying this i don't know about you
1: oh no it's it's really fun to to chat and to and to really kind of dig in to all the stuff that you know you're certainly thinking about and then i think about on a daily basis and and uh i and i'm if you can't tell i'm a process junkie so i i love just <laughs> and you know and just the history of this art form i just yeah. absolutely love comics and me too. Uh, and reading them and thinking about them and and all the great artists who have contributed to it and then just um so yeah i could call i could talk for days <laughs> yeah uh, me too. i hope your so, listeners can listen for days
0: that's the question No, well, <laughs> that's the question yeah whether well, but i think you know I mean, honestly, what I'm enjoying about this conversation is it really gets to the heart of what this podcast is meant to be about, you know, and it's meant to be exactly this. It's meant to be about Charles Schultz and Peanuts and and the impact and the ongoing influence of that body of work and that cartoonist upon all of us who love this field and love working within this field and, and thinking about it and, and, you know, who are all kind of dedicated to its ongoing health and sustenance and, you know, want to make sure it, it moves forward, you know? Um, but yeah. I think, you know, so, um, let's talk about what goes on at the Schultz studio, uh on a daily basis you said you know before that you were dealing with the artwork you're still dealing with the man's artwork and uh and permutations of such so uh what kind of discussions go into that
1: yeah the questions that we have to deal with from a licensing perspective Mm -hmm. they're always it's just it's a fascinating discussion there um and then you know how do you we're still working with his art you know Mm -hmm. and and it's we're always sort of discovering something new with it and then we have to put it in this different context um to make it marketable so to speak and then and then you know i could the fact that 20 years after the artist's death it's it's as popular if not more so in just worldwide is is an interesting you know, talk about legs. It's just crazy. Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah. yeah. What kind of discussions go into that, and and what's that process like?
1: Um, yeah, it's really f- fascinating now because um, you know we were talking about licensing before, and uh, and I think you know for for people who who read and love Peanuts in the states, it was very much this this. You know, it's it's as it's as American as you can get, mm-hmm. um, and and now in the in the current iteration of of licensing, you know, I think um, it, it's always sort of had a presence in Japan, which I think it was brought over in the '70s, and and the other countries, you know, it's would would bring and translate editions of of peanuts through his lifetime. Um, so you know, they they call Carlitos. They call Charlie Brown Carlitos in in South America, which is really cute. And one of my favorites in Italy is they call rerun replica, which I think is fascinating. <laughs> um, and it's called you know radicern and in, in I think um, which is like little radishes and in, in Sweden in Swedish because they don't have I think it's Swedish they don't have peanuts. So so you know I'm going on this 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 track of like you know. Peanuts in other countries, because you know what we're dealing with now very much is as peanuts worldwide. And the Schultz Studio is um, we do a lot of approvals across the world with with different countries who are using the license um, for their for their own territories and interpret it, interpreting within those the context of those countries. Uh, and so it's a lot. It's sort of a balancing act of like, okay, well, you know, there are these traditions of product in japan and and they and they're grafting on this this license to to work with it in you know a certain in a certain degree or or there are turns of phrase um that uh, a licensee would want to use for a for you know an image of charlie brown or snoopy that that don't necessarily work for
0: right.
1: for the um for the property so you know it, on a daily basis we're sort of answering questions about like well on the first instance is like, does this particular pose that they've pulled out of the strip work on this, on this shirt? Is the line quality good? Is the, you know, production quality going to be good? So we have those very, you know, brass tacks kinds of questions. And then every now and then you, you're kind of thrown a, a curveball where, you know, uh, a licensee in Japan has a, perhaps a, a, um, uh, a little ceramic cat that's, that's, that's used, um, as a, as a sort of a totem of a sort and they want to make one out of Farron and they're like, Oh, okay. Well, do we want, do we want Farron to exist in that, in that idiom? So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just like uh, interesting to, and these are discussions that we have as a group and that we have with Peanuts Worldwide and, and, and we're all just sort of um, uh, trying to keep up with these demands to, to use his characters um, Mm -hmm. in all these different iterations. Um, Oh,
0: which must be immense. I mean, how how many requests do you think you get in a week, boy? In a week, uh, that's, uh well, I remember the
1: statistic a couple of years ago was that we process fourteen thousand approvals a month. Something, oh something to that. Oh
0: my
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh! And that I, ranges from you know T shirts and coloring books to to like high end. Production stuff that that collaborations with these with these high end licensees. But yeah, we have a staff of about
0: twenty, and we have to, we have to work through that that oh that much. Yeah, how do you? Oh my gosh! And this is this is in a nine to five job. Yeah, I, I mean I can imagine that the the oh my, the overtime must be, oh my gosh, fourteen thousand in a month. And yeah. these are all different requests. Are they from, from different companies or, or different requests from one company or or multiple, you know, like a group of companies or, I mean, 14,000 distinct requests?
1: Yeah. And and so the way it's divided up is, is um, some of us have, like, for instance, in my case, um, so publishing is my purview. So anything uh-huh. with, with, you know, a jacket and a book cover and pages in between comes through me and I uh-huh. will... Review it and approve it, and that in, that includes um, whether it's creating new books like the celebrating yeah. books, um, or it's or whether it's approving like the Korean edition of the complete Peanuts, which is okay. always fascinating to, to see the characters speak Korean in the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's you know it kind of ranges in that, and then another thing, one of the other sort of licensees that I do, I have a, a, a number of Japanese stationary licensees who do beautiful work. Um, and are really good at printing peanuts on really small things um, like <laughs> pencils and erasers and, wow. and different kinds of tchotchkes and because and, the Japanese really love their stationery and, and, and they're, but they're always creating new versions and, and new themes featuring the uh-huh. characters. Um, so I could, I, you know, uh, the other day, I think I had a licensee who submitted a hundred uh, different approvals that I had to go through for this this different line of stationery. Um so sort of that kind of um uh, uh, thing, but then you magnify that by by my nineteen other coworkers and we all have our little quadrants that we that we oversee and and um and look over. And then and you sort of look at it at different phases. They send it in as a as a digital concept and we and everything sort of for us is done um on the computer and the internet, because we have this portal that we approve things in. And then you know, once you approve the concept, they'll send the digital prototype of it. Um, if it's a sculpt, it'll be like a, a turnaround in, in mm-hmm. all its you know, different um, views and, and you'd, you'd send back changes with red lines and, and, um, and then, and then ultimately they'll send you the final sample. So, and then there's just a kind of a constant stream of, of those three things happening. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of the day to day. And then, you know, on the, on the other side of that, we've, there we get these other bigger projects that we, that we work with, um, you know, creating new content, whether it's for a video game or a series of books or, um, you know, we've, we've dipped our toe into doing animated content with, with, um, with Apple. And that, that was, and so that'll sort of start to come out into the world. So, Mm -hmm. um, and that takes a whole team of dedicated, talented folks who are, who are working with animators and writers. And, and, and so, um, Uh, and all of us are just sort of, you know, dedicated to the task to making sure that if Sparky around, he would like it.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. Wow. That's it. it, So um, one of the questions that comes to mind is, is, are are you multilingual? I mean, do you speak Japanese and and Korean or how do you know that the text is adequately replicating what Charles Schultz has written?
1: Yeah, no. So, so for the, for the foreign licensees, you know, I speak a, a smattering of, of, uh, you know spanish, I'm not as as uh, fluent as I ought to be, but for but I don't know Japanese. I don't know Korean. Um, I don't know German. Um, so you know that's that's where you sort of look to your publishing partner, you know like okay. they they've they've you know we we trust that they're translating you know right. uh, properly. and in a lot of cases, you know it's been translated for years. So in some cases, they're just you know pulling the archives and putting together a new book. And so when I when I review a, a book that way, it's it's more about kind of trade dress and and looking at copyright and making sure that the that it's going to be reproduced properly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There is there is uh, one project I suppose I could talk about it that it's really fascinating to see come together. Um, I don't know if it'll be published in the states, but there's a publisher in Japan and they're working on a biography of Schultz, and it's done oh. in manga. Oh. Um, and it's just they're doing they're doing a really beautiful job, um, and and it and it goes through his his whole life, um, mm-hmm. you know, as a as a young kid loving comics all the way to his to his death, and and they highlight those. I think it's like maybe 200 pages.
0: Wow, um, this I'd love to see.
1: Yeah, no, it's really it's going to be pretty interesting. Uh, I think it maybe comes out next year, so we're mm-hmm. sort of working on drafts of that. But it's just really great to see, like you know, the Japanese in particular have such a. reverence for him and his work um and uh you know it's it's just sort of fun to see these different projects come through another another thing that's happening in in japan was is the snoopy museum in tokyo
0: snoopy museum
1: yeah and it's sort of a (laughs) a sister to the schultz museum okay and uh and that's that existed um as sort of a pop-up museum for about five years uh it, it's oh. sort of it's its last rotation is 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 happening now um and i was really lucky enough i was asked to write um, exist exhibition material for for five of those um, exhibits and um so it existed as sort of a this beautiful pop-up museum in in the rapongi district of japan and um and again that, that was that was the amount of time that they had to create this space because then a contractor was going to come in and build up a high rise or something. Oh, so, um, but it was so successful that they wanted to recreate it. And so there, are another iteration of the Snoopy museum will, will exist. I, I think it's opening at the end of this year in another part of Tokyo. Wow. And it'll be a permanent space. Oh, and, oh, great. Um, it'll be, it'll be beautiful and it'll look similar to the Schultz museum and there'll be back and forth between, you know, they'll have original strips from the collection and, and, all sorts of um, neat stuff. So for any, if there are any listeners in Japan, it's worth hunting down.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. You know, uh, as, I, as I listen to you, I'm thinking of, you know, how Disney World is. There's Disneyland, there's Disney World, and then there's uh, – I don't know if the Disney – theme park still exists in France, but, uh, you know, this idea, oh, right, that, right. Yeah. Yeah. Or the Guggenheim has Bilbao and, and has New mm-hmm. York and, you know, uh, Schultz museum now has Tokyo and, and Santa Rosa. And, uh, you know, wow, that's really cool. It, it also brings to mind the idea that if he had wanted to Schultz probably could have been some, a mogul, like in the Walt Disney mode, if he'd wanted to, but well, there's he,
1: a, qu- a great, quote, uh because he applied to disney at one point after uh (laughs) i think it was before he got to art instruction some somewhere in his early career he he applied Uh and uh and they you know he didn't get in but he recalls that and he says well it's a good thing they didn't hire me because i would have taken over the
0: place (laughs) so (laughs) walt disney would probably have something to say about that right i wonder if (laughs) they haven't connected that's an interesting question but this is a totally side issue now i'm just wondering yeah schultz and walt disney would say to one another but Anyway, uh, so, so, you know, that's, I mean, so all of this stuff keeps coming across your desk and, and the most fun though has to be the book projects. Like, so yeah,
1: yeah. I love, I love, uh, whenever we get a fun book project and, and working with, um, different publishers and, and art directors and, and coming up with a look, uh, I actually just approved a book and this, um, will be coming out, I think in the fall, you would love it. It's called the peanuts papers. Um, and it's from, I think the publisher is the li- American Library, something to that effect. Uh, but you can find it. You can, I think, you can find it on Amazon. And okay. it's a collection of essays. Uh, oh. And from the likes of like Ira Glass and Chris Ware and Seth and Ivan Brunetti and a whole host of other writers and academics just talking and writing about Schultz
0: Oh wow. And that was really fun
1: to um to see uh be put together and and um. So I'm looking forward to that one, and then you know um, other projects, more lighthearted ones come through. We just we just worked on a Peanuts cookbook. Peanuts um, cookbook, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, so so Charlie Brown is a cook. I don't think I want to go there. No,
1: <laughs> it's filled with with uh like punny recipes for kids. So oh, okay. um, and this one is holiday themed, and so um, you've got things like peppermint patty pucks which are like you know <laughs> these thin mint sort of cookies okay. yeah um, uh-huh. so you okay. know it kind of it it, it runs the gamut in the, in the sorts of of projects that they get put on my desk and you gotta put on a different kind of hat to kind of think of like sure. okay peanuts in these terms and then peanuts in, in this term and
0: and so, yeah. do you have? Does Jeannie Schultz make the final decision on many of these things, or is it really just up to you? Or do you filter what you've decided should go on to the next level, or, or does it end with you?
1: Um, it well, we all have you know a certain amount of autonomy when we because when, when you're looking at that many approvals, yeah, you know, we have to, possibly. yeah, we you know every now and then there will be a question that we need the group think on. Um, but uh, you know when it comes to to the to the books. Um, yeah, I'm one of the last voices, uh, to, to, you know, uh, decide on things. And of course I'm always, you know, going to Paige and getting her input and insight on, on right. thorny issues and, and, um, uh, but you know, the, you know, Jeannie and the family, they, they, they trust us to make these decisions, which oh, is, that's great, which is, uh, really quite an honor. Like I have, I have, a, I have a buddy of mine who, who works there too. He's also a cartoonist. He's made dozens of trips to Japan, um, and he, you know, one, on one trip that we went on, one of my first ones, he sort of likened it to like, well, we are, uh, we're representing the family. We're sort of the the, the samurai guard of the Schultz family. <laughs> and you know, so it was sort of like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, that's to kind pretty of cool. Be the stewards of this thing and kind of protect it.
0: Yeah, that's that's really cool. So, um, did you put together the Peanuts Dell archive?
1: Yeah, so that so that's another book that that uh you can you can find um it was published with boom studios which is the publisher that we did um the run of monthly comic books on which is a whole other story but yeah this this (laughs) dell archive really the 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 monthly comic strip books that we did um i think the run for that was about 40 issues between 2011 to 2013 2014 um But when the folks at Boom came up and pitched that idea to, to Page and myself, um, they cited these old comics books that Sparky had done in the late 50s, early 60s that he had done with some of his studio mates, Jim sassaville yeah. and Dale Hale. These were old art instruction colleagues. Right. And they were they were these these comic books that featured Charlie Brown and Snoopy in like seven to 10 page stories. Um, yeah. And so the museum had this... Um, this These high-res scans of the of the of these uh, these strips, and so uh, you know there was a desire to to put them all together and and uh, and publish it, and so we worked with Boom to to do that and to kind of give it a little context too. We worked with a a writer named Derek Bang who who has a um, great knowledge of the strip, and and he kind of helped put you know that because it's a very odd kind of book. I don't think if people realize that that this existed. You know, um, unless you're a hardcore fan, you know, Schultz and Peanuts is synonymous. And and like he was the only artist to work on it. Um, Right. But there was this little blip on the radar in the early 60s where he was, you know, I think, again, as a young cartoonist, uh, you have a publisher who wants to to do new stories with your characters. Well, why wouldn't you want to, you know, see what that's all about? And so um, it was a big undertaking and he hired friends to help him do that. and, And so this is a collection of of that um and it's really you know i think when you when you read it at least what i take away from it is that it's it's early enough in the strip that that um he hasn't quite defined those great personalities we were talking about before and so Mm -hmm. they become kind of ciphers and um and i think that's you know maybe if it continued we'd, we'd see things like the flying ace longer stories and and but it's something about that i think i don't know this could be speculation but um something about that project i think maybe instilled in schultz this need to kind of pull back a little Uh and like just focus on the strip itself on the drawing board kind of figure that out and um and maybe kind of pushed him toward that that notion of the auteur you know i don't know i always think about that
0: yeah it's interesting to, to to look at it i you know I wonder what kind of problems Schultz had with the work that he was overseeing. I know, uh, when I, I read the book, which I've enjoyed as a, as a kind of, um, novelty, you know, uh, in, in, in a way, but also from a historical point of view as a, as an artifact, it's fascinating. And Sasseville's work, Dale Hale's work, the two guys from art instruction, they, it's, it's interesting of all of the people working on it at that time, clearly they show the most fidelity mm-hmm. to Schultz's original work. Uh, they show the most, um, care for the original work and, and, uh, most admiration for it later on, whoever's doing it, it's clear that they're doing it very quickly and just throwing it out there, not even considering you right. know, really the, the things that make the strip special. Whereas, okay, Sassaville and Hale are at least trying to stay within the territory that Schultz has defined. But even still, even given that, even as close as some of Sasseville's jokes might be to to Schultz's in a way, or, or you know, derived from Schultz's sense of humor, uh, there is a, the, the, you know, there's a, something missing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's clearly uh work that's not of the same caliber and not holding it doesn't have as much as they try and i think they try very hard uh it doesn't have the same sensibility it just doesn't
1: it's it's missing that spark
0: yeah that that makes
1: it yeah schultz and that's something that i always you know this kind of leads into the whole notion of the of the the new monthly comic books that we did that were born out of these old comics to begin with mm-hmm. and that we did i don't know if you've seen those but we did a yes
0: i did yeah Bought a um
1: yeah so so that was a really interesting project because we were you know this licensee came along and there and there's definitely a sensitivity to to creating new content in the comic realm you know there's the comic strip which is sacrosanct and we, and we don't touch it and it's sort of canon and and but the comic books are kind of like a a weird cousin to that and it's sequential art and and so we were you know this deal went through and Paige and I were sort of like so cautious about it because we're such you know fans of his work and understanding that sensitivity to to other people interpreting it and making it so we decided to bring this project basically in house and do it ourselves and so we had great artists on staff and, and Paige actually inked probably over 300 stories wow. oh that were cancelled by a great uh, artist, Vicki Scott. and, And so we, we would do these, these short stories with the characters and populate those, those, those issues with original Schultz Sundays. And, and the whole, the idea there was like, okay, well, kids are, aren't really probably getting it in the papers the way they used to. Right. Right. Maybe we can sort of, you know, put this out there and direct them to the source material. Um, and, uh, and that was a fascinating project to sort of be, uh, to, to head up and and um <laughs> we did our best we always kind of joked that you know it takes 10 of us to do what one of sparky did huh. and um and i think there's some some fun stories in there there's a lot of great yeah. art. um and uh and so oh, i enjoyed and, the couple i bought you know. oh you did okay well that's yeah, good. sure yeah. um and so that that sort of has has moved into this this next iteration where we're sort of just doing standalone graphic novels um oh. and uh we had a we had a couple of those come out uh a fun one called where beagles dare which is all about snoopy as the flying ace and then Uh another one uh that came out just last year which was an adaptation of race for your life charlie brown so we kind of used the the animated story and built it out and 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 turned it into a graphic
0: novel which i think is actually funnier than the animated but (laughs) yeah interesting well i was going to ask about the animation too (laughs) Um, because there is new animation being done, Mm -hmm. um, the animation goes on and that is a, that is something distinct. I've always felt like for me personally, you know, the comic strip is canon and even though Schultz was in, wrote all of the animated specials and whatnot, I've always felt like That the world of the anime of animated peanuts, except for the first couple of specials, and this is just me being an old stick in the mud, maybe, but um, the classicist, but in me coming out, but I've always felt that those original animated specials were fine and, and in keeping with the world of that Schultz had created, but I felt like the later ones get so far afield for me from what I felt was so essential in the comic strip and so I've never really related to them they feel like of a they have a very different sensibility not that that sensibility is out of you know sync or not appropriate to what Schultz had created in the comic strip but somehow the the thing that I relate to in the comic strip is never, gotten to me in those later animated films Uh, yeah no i would say later i'm I'm talking about from the 1970s on right right when i say later anything post 1970s well and uh, there were there were 50
1: upwards of 50 animated specials that were created so it's you know it's its own canon
0: to a certain degree it is its own canon it's very Uh, different
1: yeah and it has its own uh you know idioms and and whatnot that work within the animated field but uh for me that like you i'm a classics person so everything comes from the strip and what what i find challenging about the animated stuff is that one of the most delightful characters is reduced to pantomime and squeaks and and squawks and it's sort of like there's a
0: whole dimension to snoopy that is lost Yeah. yeah Yeah, I also have, except for the first couple of specials where I think the voices were great. Mm -hmm. Later on, I, I, I never found the voices expressed what I felt the rhythms of Schultz's language suggest as I read them now. So what does that mean? Does it mean that I've got to do the voices, you know, for, for it to accurately, accurately reflect what I'm hearing in my head when I read the comic strips? I don't know. Oh, God help me. But you know, uh, I, when, when I hear them though, they don't, I, the voices just don't connect with the rhythms of language that I, as written for me. And that was always problematic, uh, in, in some way. somehow the humor, which can be very sharp, Mm-hmm. In the comic strip becomes somewhat dulled in in the animation later on, and it has to do with the way the the timing for me, and, and timing is so crucial, right. uh, in comic strip and in an animated film, uh, I I lose something, and it's just me being in, you know old me, but you know
1: well you know there is there is something that you know we wrestle with at the studio because so many of us who work there are fans of yeah. the source material that that you know we there's um uh this this desire uh to present peanuts as a happy thing again and again and again yeah. we want a smiling charlie brown we want a smile yeah, yeah. linus and lucy and like well yeah there are some poses that he drew where they're smiling but you know much of the strip yeah. is the opposite of that and so yeah. it's it's um something that that I certainly sometimes wrestle with when when you know um some of the really cool nuances of the strip get get um just you know uh squeezed out in favor of a you know fun looking t-shirt design but then again it's yeah. it's a t-shirt and it's also it can just you know it lives on the shelf for a certain amount of time and then it's you know not remembered yeah,
0: yeah. and and it is um as we we noted earlier you know the 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 depth of personality in the characters is so well regarded or so well understood. Everybody knows what Charlie Brown as a character means, whether he's smiling on a t-shirt or not, everybody knows what he means. You know? Right. So it, it's become such a, a part of the l- cultural language, you know? And, uh, so that when you just say the name or you see the image, you know there's sadness underlying, you know, the use of that image, uh, no matter where it appears. And uh, um, so that's kind of interesting uh, to to as we we think about that. But as a cartoonist, you know, I don't know about you, but the thought of you know doing a a Snoopy graphic novel and I start to chomp at the bit, I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds like a great, what fun that would be, you know? as And, and I think any cartoonist is going to sit there, oh yeah, I'd love to get my hands on that and play with that for a while and, and see what that, at the same time, it's an effort in futility, you know, because you're never going to, it's never going to be Schultz and I anybody know. reading it, <laughs> like you and I, is going to read it and go, now kids may not know the difference. Right. But you want to point them to the source material, you know, to get right. to to that. But, yeah, but any cartoonist is going to read it and go, well, this isn't Schultz. It's like, you know, I had the unenviable task of recreating a Jack Kirby drawing. Mm. Not recreating. I had to create a cover for a Charles Hatfield book about Jack Kirby. And I love Charles. The I Hand of Charles Fire? Of the Hand of Fire. Yeah, yeah I it's did the,
1: a great book. I love that book.
0: I love that book. Uh, I, I, it is a great book. And if you love Jack Kirby, any of you reading this, you're listening to this, go get that book by Charles Hatfield. It is the best book written about Jack Kirby and Jack yeah. Kirby's work. It's Charles is a great scholar and he's a great guy and and uh, just a wonderful book. I loved it. And I, I was honored to be you know approached by Charles to work on that. And he's he's approached me about working on a couple of Jack Kirby things. And uh, again, I'm very honored to do it, but you know, when the book came out, the first thing that somebody wrote, you know, as a review of it, hey, this cover is not by Jack Kirby. Okay. <laughs> you know, it doesn't. It all do. To...
1: You fooled me. I. I it looked. It looked right out of a out of a panel.
0: Well, thank you very much. I, I take that as a as a compliment. I I tried to keep it Kirby esque without being. To to overtly Kirby, I wanted something that Charles would be happy with and that would do honor to this cartoonist who I revere and and Charles reveres and many of us do. I love Jack Kirby and I I would never do anything to dishonor him. And Charles couldn't get the rights to Kirby imagery from the for the the book. And I think, you know, to to their everlasting regret, you know, I think the next time there's a a new edition of that, it's going to have a Kirby cover. That's for sure. Uh, because it's again, you know, such a well-regarded book, but you know, I had that task and, uh, and I love doing it. I love doing it for Charles. It was great fun. I'm honored that it's on the cover, but you know what? It, uh, it also stings terribly to know that somebody looks at it and goes, Hey, this sucks. It's not Kirby. (laughs) (laughs) and and you know i know people do that this book it sucks you know i mean this cover sucks you know because it's not kirby and and hey man i would be right there with them you know yeah but at the same time as a cartoonist i'm like oh yeah give me a shot at that you know i can't wait to get my hands on that and do that i love jack kirby i love drawing well
1: you know and that's what's fun about you know when when i when i when i take off my hypercritical hat and i look at the body of work that we did with the boom books yeah. and then these graphic novels like that it was immensely fun to just sort of play in that yard that that Schulz created and to work with artists who had that reverence that you're talking about that you have for Kirby yeah. that they clearly yeah. had for schultz and they bring you know that we know out of the gate everybody knows out of the gate that we're just we're just trying to keep up with with what Sparky did so this is like this is our kind of love letter to that and and each of these artists, these cartoonists, whether it was Vicki Scott or Robert Pope or Page or, um, you know, all the other artists we work with, they're bringing um, their take on it. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, and some are, you know, it's really interesting because I'm a, as I said before, I'm a process junkie. So it's really neat to see, like, how they construct the characters and what kind of nuances of themselves they bring into the character. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and so that was a really fun project. And, and um, you know, ultimately, I'm really proud of the, the work we produced. Um, and uh, if it points a kid to the complete Fantagraphics book, all the better, because um, that yeah. was sort of our mission statement.
0: Well, you know, there's something that comes out of that, and, and this ha- goes to the dwindling impact of newspapers and, and, and uh, you know, kids today, <laughs> kids today, uh, the, the, they, they don't, you know, if they have access to newspapers, they probably don't read them. Right. And so, you know, access to Peanuts. In the way that you and I had access originally, of course, you know, mostly through books. But again, it was in the newspaper every day. You knew what the newspaper, you knew what a comic strip was in the newspaper. They don't have access to it that way. And uh, so where, you know, how do you get them back to the source material? Mm -hmm. um, Keeping peanuts alive for younger readers who are coming up without that connection to newspapers. And I guess you're doing that through things like the graphic novels and, and uh, through the other reprint collections, whether it's Celebrating Peanuts or some of the Andrews McMeill collections, right? right? That's, that's getting to them.
1: And then we do um, a whole line of storybooks through Simon & Schuster. I mean, there's uh, a lot of material out there that's geared for the younger readers. Um, uh, but, you know, what's interesting, you know, when I think about it is like we, you know, we go into Schultz's work knowing where it originally came from, that it that it yeah. came from a comic strip. I wonder like if a kid watching the new Apple series um featuring Snoopy, if they even know like the 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 true DNA of it. And does that matter? I don't I mean like obviously from my point of view I want them to to read the strip, but they're coming to these characters from a completely different vantage point. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, how we yeah, how do we direct them back to the material? Unless unless you're a really dedicated fan who wants to know all about Snoopy. Yeah. I think will you sort of navigate your way to source material? But it's definitely a challenge. And it's something that we, you know, try and figure out because you know there's there's the kids right now, six year olds, but then there's a the whole generation of those parents who are having those kids who maybe, you know, might be not it's like when they were growing up, it's not like if they had access to peanuts. And so it's sort of like we're getting further and further away. Yeah. Um, and so how do we, I don't know, you know, I think
0: one of the ways is, is, uh, you know, I noticed the, is it Schultz museum or, or somebody's putting up uh, Instagram versions of peanuts comics and mm-hmm. it's on my Instagram feed. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, I, I go through, I, I see it. And, and even though I've read them, thousand times, you know, I'll read it and maybe kids are are, are doing that. I don't know. It's, it's interesting because I think even when I was a kid, um, and experiencing, you know, Schultz comics, I knew there was more, maybe, maybe it was understood across the culture that there was more to the characters than cuddly Snoopy, you know, uh, cuddly Snoopy Woodstock imagery. And that there was depth to them. And I don't know how I knew that, but, uh, you know, I did. I mean, I, I remember this kid, uh, uh, what it, this book when I was a kid, Um, uh, you know, The Gospel According to Peanuts, which, which oh, right. right away, even though I didn't read it. I, di- I didn't read it. it was it was in my house and and it was there. And I think my I, my mother was a closet peanuts fan, and she never <laughs> really told me she was, but she made sure I had all these books. And this was one of them. It was I remember seeing that. and I couldn't read it. You know, I was too young to read it when it came out. She must have read it. But I remember that real realizing that there was something if if there's a book called this about Peanuts, then there's more to Charlie Brown than I'm getting you know, just from being a little kid and experiencing them the way I do. Yeah. there's more to it. and it, and I'm not sure if that is available, you know, to kids today when they're that far away from like experiencing it every day, um unless you're gonna seek out the fanographics collections, you know and and mm-hmm. which I guess is I don't know if that's a rarity or not. I, I teach a class on the history of comics, and um, I, you know, I teach this in a, in a university setting and when I do the history comics, I do an extended class on peanuts mm-hmm. and I talk about, you know, all the stuff that I, I go into here and, and, um, w- one of the students said to me at, at the end of that class this semester, you know, I had no idea that there was, there was so much to peanuts I had no idea that there was, that these characters, that there was so much to them and that they were so unique in the history of comics. I just always thought of them as being, you know, um, these cozy little toys on my jammies or these images on my jammies, you know, uh, I didn't think of them in, in this larger framework. Of course, they didn't think about comics in terms of, you know, history of comics or the depth of a lot of stuff, but they were fascinated to find out that there was so much more to Linus and Lucy and Schroeder and, and Snoopy than they realized on the surface. And yeah. I think, I think that's the, the thing I wonder about is, is if that will transcend, you know, as, as we continue to move forward, that's gotta be a difficult task.
1: Right. Definitely. And it's, and it's sort of, it's sort of the thing we, um, in the back of our hands, I think we kind of wrestle with every day. Yeah um uh the fact that there's there's uh you know still i think the museum helps a lot in in well grounding the 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 world of schultz and then his his strip and and so that's you know that sort of becomes a mecca for a lot of folks um who are you know great fans the way that there's like the the beautiful herge museum and in Belgium, people will, mm-hmm. will make that pilgrimage out to Santa Rosa. Um, so that certainly helps. Um, yeah. How many no, people it's...
0: come through the the Museum? I'm sorry, um, it just struck me. Um, finish your thought because I think it was going to be an interesting.
1: Oh no, no, I was just I was just going to just you know um, reiterate that it's it's uh, the goodness for Genie and the museum to to yeah. um to make sure it exists. I don't know. Uh, I, th- I think I read that Sparky was sort of. Um, skeptical about about, or he wasn't sure that that his work belonged in a space like that but um but thank goodness that it exists because you know it gives us the space to kind of have these discussions
0: yeah and and uh, encourage as all museums do encourage analysis and and academic research and and promoting that which you're you love right Mm -hmm. which is you know peanuts and schultz and his work and making sure that it gets to people and that they they understand what it the depth and the quality of of the work and why it resonates you know in the culture and has resonated for what are we going towards 70 years you know uh, yeah, next uh-huh. year 70 years wow that's unbelievable, unbelievable. it <laughs> yeah. just makes me feel old but you know And then it's
1: funny. and then I think night and then 2022 is the 100th anniversary of his birth
0: wow yeah. amazing amazing and yeah. you know it really it does t- time telescopes <laughs> yeah we th- think about that but you know um it, it, i think Well, I don't know what I think. (laughs) I don't know what I was going to say. I I was just thinking about how, uh, at the same time that we, you know, I think moving forward in in a position like yours, reverence towards the material is something you've got to balance against not being overly reverential and remembering that the strip is funny. And it's meant to be funny, and and if it's not funny, it's not working, you know? Yeah. Because uh, Schultz was always about, you know, he always comes back to that, and all the quotes that are in Celebrating Ah, uh, peanuts. you know he always comes back to that. that it's got to be funny, and it's it's uh, it's a funny comic strip. And it is. at the end of the day, no matter all of this other stuff, it's cloaked in this quality of humor and this humorous look at life that I think is, you know that's why humor is like so essential. and and, you know, being able to be funny and laugh at yourself. and it's just so essential to being human and and uh um and coping you know with right the world. schultz that's what peanuts is all about it really is it's about coping with the difficulties in life through humor
1: and it's and it's so funny in different ways like you know you, you think about lucy's massive mouth when she's yelling it's funny that that yeah. visual and then whatever she's saying and then you have the other kind of funny where uh snoopy on the top of his doghouse writing one of his ridiculous novels like like that's sort of a a different like you hear lucy yelling but then you can hear the typewriter clacking yeah and his internal monologue and then (laughs) and then it's the you know the the kind of funny of of just uh some weird dashed off um sketch that he had in a throwaway panel of a sunday and it's just sort of yeah it's it's um it's always funny and uh, and 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 in different kinds of ways um
0: it's great yeah. it's it's how rich how rich a work it really is well Lex um let's let's cut it off there for now and um let's work on getting together uh again to talk about Kid Beowulf and and uh, more Schultz stuff and yeah uh, well, because I really want to get into your work too because I think it's terrific and uh I think you're doing something very different with Kid Beowulf although you must be also t- utilizing you know um, your work at the Schultz Museum is a kind of well of of inspiration every day, and uh, um, so there's lots to talk about there. And uh, I really want to do that. So, yeah, no,
1: I look, I look forward to it.
0: Me too. So let's, uh, you know, via email or something. Let's. what well, you look at your calendar, I'll look at my calendar, and let's put together uh, a day when we can get together and talk again. Okay? Sounds terrific. Sounds great. I really enjoyed this, man. I really yeah, really me too. This, this was just so. This is the conversation I've been hoping to have. Uh, you know, when I started this this podcast, and uh, you know, it's just a, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to talk to you and to meet you and and and, uh, and you know, I feel like we connected, which is something that doesn't always happen in uh, in conversations. But this yeah. this was great, man.
1: It's the power of cartooning that unites us all.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. So there we leave it uh, with Lex and myself. Until the next time, I want to thank Lex for spending a whole Saturday morning with me uh, talking about Schultz Studio and everything Charles Schultz and Peanuts and never anything about his own work. So he and I are going to get together real soon and continue the conversation and talk not only more about uh, Charles Schultz and Peanuts, I'm sure, but also about Kid Beowulf, the graphic novel series that Lex has been doing for a number of years, a series of books that is really terrific and you should check out At your first opportunity, Uh, they are available wherever good books are sold, so look for those. You can also find out more about Lex at kidbeowulf.com. That's K-I-D-B-E-O-W-U-L-F dot com. Uh, So check it out. I think Lex would appreciate it. And it certainly would be a kind of payback for all the time he spent with me that Saturday morning when we (laughs) we talked endlessly for three hours without uh, any any cognizance of the time that was passing by. That's how interesting it was. And uh, that's what's great about this podcast for me. Uh, getting together with cartoonists who are of like mind and who are equally interested and influenced by the wonderful work of uh, Charles Schultz and uh, his his terrific his terrific comic strip Peanuts and Charlie Brown and Linus and Lucy and Snoopy too so. Check it out, okay? And if you are so inclined, drop by jeffgrogan.com. That's G-E-O-F-F-G-R-O-G-A-N.com. That's my website. Use the contact form. Get in touch. Let me know what you think of the podcast. If you've got some ideas for upcoming episodes, I'd love to hear them. Always a big help. Maybe you know a cartoonist who loves Peanuts, who's deeply into Charles Schultz and Charlie Brown, and uh, is a terrific cartoonist in their own right. Let me know if you've got some ideas. Uh, If you are also inclined, you might want to uh, drop over at Apple Podcasts, iTunes, wherever it is you're listening to this. Leave us a five-star rating, write a review. That's a big help. It it brings new listeners to the podcast, and that's what we want to do. We want to get this podcast out uh, to as many people as possible, as many people who are interested in cartooning and comics and Charles Schultz and Peanuts, and... uh Spread the word if you can, and that that goes to sharing it on social media. If you can do that, too, hey, it's a big help. We've, we've seen, uh, you know, the stats go up uh, several times. So uh, because somebody has shared it on Twitter or shared it on Facebook or uh, wherever it is that you are happiest, uh, in your social media. So uh, give that a, a shot, too. Uh, uh, that's a big, big help to me and to the podcast. And uh, and, and it's encouraging, you know. It is encouraging to know that our p- other people are listening and that people like what, what I'm doing. So uh, that's about it for now. I think Betsy and I are, are ready to check out. We'll give your ears a rest. And uh, hug a warm puppy, scratch your cat's back, fly a kite, throw that ball around the horn, and uh, thanks for listening you